Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 6, please, uh, we'll look there here in just a little bit. Just a quick note on uh, being in Texas. I've lived in Texas now for about 18 years. And uh, I, uh, I always make sure to communicate, especially when I'm back in Oklahoma, just so people don't get the wrong idea, that I consider myself a missionary to Texas <laughs> rather than a Texan. Um, it's uh, God called us there and, you know, you got to follow the call, right? So uh, nevertheless, no, it's, it's been a good place. We've loved our home there. All four of our kids are born there, so I can't help that. They're all Texans. That's just kind of how it goes. Uh, but uh, my first, I uh, want to share this story with you. My first couple years of Bible college, um, I was trying to be disciplined and stay in shape and everything. And so about I would say two or three times a week, I'd try to get out and go for a jog. Now, uh, for my training, I mean, I thought anything over two miles was something that just the cross-country kids did. And so I really felt like I was doing a good job just to get out and knock out 10 or 15 minutes two or three times a week. Well, uh, an individual came to me one day whenever I was at school and I was kind of passing through the lunch line. You probably know him. His name's Dave Hardy. He approached me and he said... He said, hey, I hear, you, hear you've been doing some jogging. And I said, yeah, I have been three times a week. And I was feeling pretty boastful and proud about it. He says, well, I'm looking for a running partner. Would you like to go with me this afternoon? <laughs> so I don't, apparently I'm not the only one with this story because uh, so I'm like, you know, Brother Dave Hardy, especially uh, at that point in my life, I'm like, man, absolutely. He was the vice president of the school. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm all over that. And so he picks me up and uh, we take off driving down in his old Maxima. And we're going down 10th Street, and he waits until we're about a mile away from the school before he drops the bomb on me. He says, now, we're going to run about nine and a half miles today. <laughs> and I'm like, Phew. I mean, he might as well have said, we're going to run 100 miles. I mean, I, I haven't even thought of nine miles in my life. And it just, I mean, I really had to stifle back some strong emotions. I was wanting to jump out of the car and go back to her, call my mom or something, you know. And, uh, and but he... We, we went out and it, it took me a long time. I wasn't able to do it just straight through. You know, he was very patient and gracious. Uh, but in two or three hours, I was done. That was kind of the end of the thing. And I, I learned something that day. Uh, one, and this is kind of in his words. He says, I want you to know you can do more than you think you can. And, and that stuck with me. That, I feel like that, has, that idea has been planted in my mind ever since that day. But the other thing I kind of discovered is because he ended up roping me into coming here to do the Tulsa run uh, that, that same year. And I thought, one, one thing I've learned about myself is to have something out there that's kind of hanging over my head does wonders for shaping the habits of my life. You know, if I've got this race that I know I've got to get ready for, if I've got this run that I know I've got to get ready for, then I can't afford to just sit on the couch. You know, I've got to say, all right, look, even when I don't feel good, I've got to get out there and try to plug in some miles because I've got to get ready for that. And there's something about having that, that goal, or if you'll let me use this word, there's something about having a mission that affects the daily decisions of our everyday life. You think about having uh, like an Olympic athlete. You know, an Olympic athlete says, okay, I want to win a gold medal. He or she has already made a number of decisions about their life. They've already decided what kind of food they're going to eat or not eat. 
They've already made a lot of decisions about the kind of soda or, or the lack of soda. There's not going to be any ice cream in their life. They're going to be doing a lot of exercise. They're going to get certain kinds of sleep. There are certain activities that their friends are going to do that they're not going to do. There are certain activities that they're going to be involved in that others are never going to have to mess with or deal with. But those decisions are made for them almost automatically just by setting that point in the distance and saying, that's what I'm trying to get to. Or in other words, just by having a mission, they've already determined so many of the facets of their life. Now, here in Matthew chapter 6, really the latter part, the whole second half, in my opinion, of chapter 6 is all about setting the right mission or charting the right course. Jesus in this passage is teaching us to make him and his kingdom our mission. He's really making a pitch for why we should do that and why we should make him our master, why we should make his righteousness our first goal, why we should make his kingdom our mission. And really kind of hits on a lot of these ideas, explaining and showing how our mission affects our life. So I want to ask you if you would stand with me in, we'll, in reverence of the word of God and we'll read in verse number 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon And mammon, you know, is just an old school word for money. Verse 25, he says, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let's pray together and then you can be seated. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day and for the opportunity to gather around your people, 
to praise and worship your name. Thank you, God, just for the blessed services we've already had today. I would like to ask that you'd grant me the words to speak. God, I pray that you would help with the help and grace of your Holy Spirit to communicate your truth and your mind to your people today. We pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Having a mission has a dramatic effect on our lives. And I, I, before I get too far into this, I'd like to encourage you. You know, we think about missions or having a mission as something I think sometimes we may inadvertently think that that is only for a missionary. You know, and certainly a missionary has a mission, but missions and having a mission is something that every person has. Okay, so it's not, we're not just talking about going to the mission field when we talk about missions or the power of mission. We're, we're talking about something that really is applicable to every life sitting in here today. And so I really want to encourage you not to think of missions as something that's over there or for somewhat, somebody special or unique. Mission is for you to consider in your life. It has a dramatic effect on our life. Now, the passage we read, that whole second half of Matthew chapter 6, again, I believe is all about mission and specifically how our mission affects or shapes the nature of our life. So there's four things I'm going to kind of share with you real quickly here. First of all, our mission will affect what you get. Your mission affects what you get. He talks there about how lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven or treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt and where thieves don't break through and steal. He says uh, the, the first idea is that has to do with whether or not the reward of your life is going to be temporal or eternal. And what you choose as your mission will determine what you receive as your reward. If you choose a temporal mission, then you will receive a temporal reward. But if you will choose an eternal mission, the only way to receive eternal rewards is to get on board with the eternal mission. Jesus clearly highlights the superiority of an eternal investment over a temporal investment. They last forever. Nobody can take them. Time will not diminish them. But again, whichever reward you get will be greatly determined by the mission that you adopt for your own life. What you receive or what you get out of the sum total of your life will be determined by the mission you choose to serve. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but all throughout this passage, there is this kind of this contrast, this competition between the world and heaven, between spiritual and physical, between God and mammon, between the present and the temporal versus the eternal. And, and Jesus is trying to get us to think outside of just the physical, just outside of the temporal, just outside of mammon or money. He's saying, look, serving the Father, serving God is a way better deal and for one, uh, he says, make him your mission because it'll affect what you get. What you get will be eternal rather than temporal. Secondly, mission affects, will affect what you want. The second very powerful truth that he talks about in this passage is in verse number 21. He says, for where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. You know what that, that means? It, the word treasure means a deposit. And the idea is what you invest your life into, what you make deposits into, is what you're going to care the most about. You can see that bearing out just in everyday life, that uh, things that you have very little to do with, I mean, you're not, you're not going to really care that much about. You know, maybe it's like, I mean, here down in Oklahoma, hockey. And maybe if you're a huge hockey fan, I'm sorry, but hockey generally in this part of the country is not a big deal. And so we don't totally care what happens in the NHL or, you know, how Buffalo's doing or whatever. I mean, we don't sit around and talk about the hockey score. Some of you are like, they don't even have a hockey team. You know, that's something else. And that shows you I don't really get into it. That's why I don't really care about it. But you start talking college football. And man, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk about all that kind of stuff. Why? Because I've invested time into it and it's kind of something that therefore I care about. Jesus says that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart will be controlled by where you invest your life. In other words, your heart will be affected, get this, by the mission you choose to serve. The wants and the wishes of your soul will be affected by your mission. Now, why should you care about that? Why should we care where our heart is? Why should we care about the condition or the quality of our heart? Well, I'd say for one, because Jesus says that he cares about the heart. I mean, God places great emphasis on the quality and the condition of our hearts. You know, man looks on the outward, but God looks on the what? The heart. Okay. God cares about the heart. But furthermore, the heart affects the everyday issues of life. Proverbs is full of proverbs that say this. You know, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. That the lives that we live, the things that we think, the, even maybe the emotions that we have are greatly affected by what's going on in our heart. Well, Jesus says if you want to put your heart in the right place, and by the way, Proverbs will also teach multiple times, I think throughout that wonderful book, that our hearts can be dictated to, to a certain degree. We're not just victims of our heart. Just, well, my heart is what it is and there's nothing I can do about it. The Bible says, as in water, face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. The idea is, just like what I see in the mirror is affected by what this guy does, my heart is affected by what I tell it. Jesus says, if you want your heart to be in the right place, then your investment needs to be in the right place. If you want your heart to be in the right place, if you want to have a good heart that will in turn dictate many of the experiences of your life, if you want that thing that out of it the issues of life are flowing, if you want that to be healthy, Jesus says it starts with choosing the right mission. If you don't have the right mission, you're not going to have the right heart. But whenever you pick the right mission, it'll affect your heart. Not only it'll affect what you get, but it'll affect what you want. Your mission will have a major effect on your heart or what you want. You know, I, I have discovered over the years, and I was even just looking this up the other day, there are countless articles that link the notions and the issues of mental health with whether people are living an altruistic life or rather if they are doing things for others. And there's kind of this common link 
between getting outside of ourselves and caring about what's going on in somebody else's life that seems to have a dramatic effect on things like depression and anxiety. I know those are buzzwords in our society, but it's an old truth that when we forget about ourselves and live for someone else or live for something greater than ourselves, it can have a dramatic effect on what's going on in here. I, I really believe it wouldn't surprise me, at least, if many of the causes of the influx of things like depression and anxiety in our life are a direct result of choosing the wrong mission rather than choosing Christ and God and the kingdom of God as our mission, as opposed to the other master that Jesus mentions here being mammon or materialism. Because we find that those things don't satisfy. Those things aren't uh, fulfilling. Having a sense of mission turns us away from self towards something greater than ourselves. And again, has proven to have a dramatic effect on the condition of the heart. So first, your mission will affect what you get. Second, your mission will affect what you want, what you care about. But third, your mission will affect what you do. And I really wanted to spend most of my time on this one. This was really kind of what was on my heart for today. I think this is such a fascinating concept in verse 22 and 23. Look with me there if you would again. Jesus says that the light of the body is the eye. You know, for years I'd read that and I'm like, man, I just, I don't get that. I don't know what that even means. Think about it like this for a second. Your eye is the thing that brings input into your brain. I believe that our brains, generally speaking, are fairly intelligent, (laughs) okay? I mean, they have the capacity to make good decisions for us. Our brain knows, for instance, Don't stub your toe on the coffee table. That'll hurt, okay? Our brain knows that if you kick the coffee table with your shin, that's gonna hurt. Our brain knows that it's not a good idea to pull out in front of oncoming traffic, okay? However, the eye is what gives information to the brain. And if the eye is messed up, the brain will wind up It's not the brain's fault. The brain is going on the input that it had, the information that it had. And the reason sometimes we stub our toe or kick our shin on the coffee table is not because our brain isn't smart enough to not know to do it, but because the lights weren't turned on and we weren't seeing where the coffee table was. The reason people pull out in front of oncoming traffic is not because they're not smart, but because they did not see the car that was coming. So Jesus says here, he uses this metaphor of the light of the body being the eye. The light or the eye is the thing that illuminates or sends light or information to our brain and to our decision maker. Jesus' idea in this passage is that if your eye, and I know because I know where he's going with this, Jesus' idea here is that if your eye isn't focused on the right thing, it's going to make poor judgments and poor decisions. Because he follows this kind of interesting metaphor up with you can't serve God and man. You can't serve two masters. You got to pick one. It's either going to be God or it's going to be money. You can't have two. Jesus is teaching us if your eye again is focused on evil things, you will make poor decisions. So again, kind of coming back to kind of what we're talking about this morning is the power of mission If you have picked the wrong mission for your life, 
it's going to affect the decisions that you make in your life. Let me read this passage to you, 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verses 9 and 10. Uh, Paul, talking to Timothy, he says, Warren, he says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So in that passage, what he's saying is that when somebody chooses mammon as their mission, he says it has the ability to hurt them with these foolish lusts and pierce them through uh, with many sorrows and affect the quality of even their faith. Again, all going back to what is the mission that you choose? And Jesus is trying to help us out. He's saying, look, if you choose mammon as your mission, look, that's, that's kind of where we are in the United States of America. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that we're blessed. I'm thankful that God has blessed us as a country and that you can go, at, the sky is the limit in this wonderful country. And I love that. And at the same time, uh, we, we need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of making materialism our mission. And Jesus is saying right here, he's saying, look, you can't serve both. Don't think that you can. One is going to be your master and one is going to dictate your mission. He says you better choose right because whatever you choose is going to inform the decisions that you make. If you choose the wrong mission, you're going to make bad choices through the course of your life. If you want to stay out of trouble and do good, then you need to throw yourself into a good mission. Don't we see this a lot of times, you know, like with our young people, we, we want them to get involved in things like whether it's maybe sports or uh, the music club or band or something of that nature. And one of the reasons that we like them being involved in that or, or youth group is because if they've got something good to do, it protects them from doing bad stuff or dumb stuff. And uh, there have been a lot of high school kids and I would even say college athletes that have probably stayed out of a lot of trouble because if they made a bad grade or if they made a bad choice, they wouldn't get to play in their game or they wouldn't get to perform in their performance or something of that nature. Having that mission affects a lot of the decisions that you make in your life. I think I can honestly say in my own life that just the fact that I have the job that I have, <laughs> and I know sometimes it's weird to use preaching as a job, so maybe, I don't know how you want to think about that, but the mission that is in my personal life and the responsibilities are in my life have answered a lot of the questions in my life and kept me out of a lot of trouble. There are things that's like, well, I'm tempted to do that, but if I went that route, it's, I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> you know, if I, I mean, I'm tempted to do that, but if I go that route, I'm going to ruin my family, you know. And the thing I'm just trying to get across this morning, I think Jesus is trying to get across, is choosing the right mission is so important because it makes so many of the decisions already for you in your life. It'll affect what you want. It'll affect how you think. Lastly, and I'll say this one quickly, mission affects what you worry about. You know, this last part of chapter 6 talks all about the things that people are worried about. They're worried about food and drink and clothes and shelter and things of this nature. And Jesus, remember, this is in the context of everything else. He says, look, what you need to worry about, and I use that word loosely, but he says you need to be seeking God, his righteousness, and his kingdom first. He says that's what you need to be concerned about. Make that your mission. And all these material concerns, he says, that's something I'll take care of. That's something God will take care of. 
You know, it's kind of like a soldier that goes out on deployment. He's not having to buy everything for himself unless he's getting souvenirs or something of that nature. Okay? I mean, he's not having to pay for his food and pay for all this kind of stuff. Guys that go out on business trips, generally speaking, I mean, the business is paying for anything that you're doing in the course of that business trip. Presumably, your employer is paying for that expense. Jesus is saying, look, you need to make God, his kingdom and his righteousness your mission. And as you do so, you can trust that when you've made him your mission, he'll take care of all these temporal concerns and areas of your life. See, a lot of times we get it backwards. We say, man, I got to worry about where I'm, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear and where I'm going to live and things of this nature. And he says, but look, then, then, you, then you start serving the wrong master. Then you start having the, the wrong focus in life. You start having the wrong mission in life. Jesus is saying, look, it is a safe decision to make Christ and his kingdom your mission. You're not going to go without. Mission affects what you worry about. The bottom line is this. Your life is going to be shaped by your mission. Whatever you make your mission will affect your life, will shape your life. So you say, maybe you say, well, I want my life to take on the right shape. Well, how can you shape your life according to the right shape? By making sure you've chosen and are following the proper mission. If your life is to have the right shape, you must commit to the right mission. So let me give you these applications and I'm going to be done. First of all, make God your master. That's what Jesus says. He says you can't serve both. He says you, you can't serve two masters. It's either going to be God or it's going to be mammon or money. It's either going to be God or it's going to be materialism. It's either going to be God or maybe a relationship or something of that nature. You need to make God your master. Let me first of all ask this question kind of under that thought. Has there been a time in your life where you've repented of a godless life and received Jesus as your Savior? That's where it starts. You can't continue to go through life without God being a part of your life. And if you want God to be part of your life, that starts with accepting the Son that He sent to die for you as your Savior. As long as you hold Jesus at arm's length, you will never have the right mission in life. Okay? It starts with accept, accepting Christ as your Savior. But Christians, has there been a time in your life in which you have truly surrendered your life on the altar of serving God? A place where he says in Romans 12 that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now look, this doesn't mean quitting your job and going into the ministry. It just simply means whatever God wants me to be doing, that's what I'm going to be about. It means his mission is my mission. What he says, that's what I do. Whether I like it or not, whether it's convenient or not, whether my friends and family think it's crazy or not, God's the boss. There needs to be a time, I believe, in every Christian's life. I don't know that those are necessarily simultaneous with getting saved. I think we get saved because we, we want to be forgiven of our sins. We want to have everlasting life. There comes a time where in, in every Christian's life where you've got to say, all right, am I really going to follow all of this or not? Is he going to be my boss or not? Have you ever made Christ the real king of your life? God calls every Christian to follow him completely. Will you do it? Again, this isn't just a calling for the pastor or for the missionary or the staff member or the deacon or the Sunday school teacher. God calls every believer 
to follow him completely. Will you do it? So number one, make God your master. Number two, adopt the great commission as your mission. Okay, now look, I know that you know the great commission. Matthew 28, Jesus says that the great commission is evangelism, telling people about the Savior, trying to witness and bring them to Christ. Baptism, taking people who have believed in Jesus and getting them into the baptistry in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And discipleship, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, Jesus said. Now, that, that mission, we call it the Great Commission, but in a sense, it is a mission that God has given not just to a few select individuals. It is a mission that he has given to his church. Now, if you're a member of this church, then that mission is your mission. Jesus, again, in this whole chapter, chapter six, he's saying, look, pick my mission because it'll affect so many components of your life. Adopt the Great Commission as your mission, not just the missionary's mission. How can I do that, Brother Joe? I'd encourage you to start by just identifying somebody that needs to be saved. Every one of us knows somebody that needs to get saved. And we think about them every once in a while, you know, in a revival or a, something like a day like today. But I want you to think about that person, put their face in your mind, maybe write their name down. I think it's a good, a good exercise, a good discipline to keep what's called an evangelism prayer list. Basically, people that you are praying for to get saved. That every day of your life, you sit down and you go, okay, well, here's Joe, here's Bob, here's Sally, here's Sue. I'm going to pray for them to get saved today. Put them on your prayer list and look for opportunities to witness that person or invite them to church. Identify somebody that needs to be saved. Disciple somebody. Take a new convert under your wing. Now that, that, you know, no, we, we tend to think in these terms of, well, discipleship means I have to roll, enroll in this class and I have to go through this material. And I get that. I mean, that's, that's part of how we do it just in mass. But just in a general way, discipleship is just taking somebody under your wing and saying, hey, I know you just got saved. You want to come to Sunday school with me? Hey, you want to come back to church with me on Sunday night? Hey, would you and your family come over to our house after church? And we'd just love to get to know you a little bit better. That kind of stuff goes a long way. Encourage somebody that needs to be baptized to get baptized. If you know somebody that needs to join the church, talk to them about it. If somebody's not attending Sunday school or midweek service, encourage them to come. I would say under adopting the Great Commission is your mission, start at home with your kids. Look, let's not forget the most important people in our sphere of influence while we're thinking about everybody out there we can't forget the people that sit around our supper table i think a lot of times guys forget about that so busy trying to evangelize and disciple it's like oh i don't have time for the wife and kids okay that that can't be said of god's people it shouldn't be said of god's people our mission starts right there teaching those little guys and those little girls to love God, to serve God, to serve others. That's good discipleship going on right there. Make it your mission to see that they love God, that they're involved in some form of uh, ministry, that they're serving in their local church, that, they, that they're conscious and careful about people outside these walls that don't know Christ as their Savior. Lastly, let me just kind of say this by way of a payoff. 
when this mission becomes your mission, what mission? The mission of Christ. Making God your master. Seeking Him and His kingdom. That's essentially what the Great Commission is, is pursuing His kingdom first. When that becomes your mission, as well as your family's, it'll begin to affect your heart, your direction, your priorities in life. Listen, if you can lead your children to embrace the right mission, it'll help them a great deal to live the right kind of life. You say, boy, I want my kids to live a good life. Then give them a good mission. If you and your spouse will commit to selling out to God's mission for your life, it'll greatly help you to experience life the way God designed it to be lived. But you must make that decision. Am I truly going to follow God with all my being? Or am I just going to let the missionary do that? Am I truly going to follow God in my home and in my life? Am I going to make a real priority out of Him and His kingdom? Or am I just going to let the preacher do that? And the staff members and the Sunday school teachers? Or are we going to step it up a notch in our personal home, in our personal faith, and say, you know what? It's time that we stop just attending church, stop just showing up and watching, and that we started getting involved and getting, making the great commission of God the mission of our personal life and our personal household. Jesus is trying to, he's trying to make that pitch to you today. He's saying, look, seek Him first. Seek the kingdom of God first. It'll make such a dramatic impact on every other facet of your life. You want your life to be shaped right? Get the right mission. There is great power in picking the right mission.